There's no rule that says adult cereal has to be bland and boring. That's why I love Magic Spoon. Eating a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal is like taking a time machine back to your childhood. Except these cereals not only taste delicious, but each serving contains zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five net grams of carbs. It's also keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. My personal favorites are cocoa, cookies and cream, and blueberry muffin, but there's also fruity, frosted, peanut butter, maple waffle, honey nut, and cinnamon roll. I personally enjoy blending either cocoa or blueberry muffin with milk, a frozen banana, and matcha powder for a super quick and tasty breakfast. Head to magicspoon.com slash sapphire to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try the magic for yourself. And be sure to use our promo code sapphire at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at at magicspoon.com slash sapphire and use the code sapphire to save five dollars off thank you magic spoon for sponsoring this episode hello believers non-believers and everyone in between you're listening to stories with sapphire i am sapphire sandalo now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Or does it? Does seeking revenge always lead to an endless cycle of continuous harm? Or are there instances where it's necessary? Today, I'll be sharing stories from people who have been the target of supernatural retribution. While listening, I want you to keep the following questions in mind. Do you think the victim deserved what came to them? Do you think the victim has the right to fight back? First, I read the story of a young girl who angered a land spirit. Next, I recount the story of a man attacked by a nocturnal creature. Then, I tell the tale of a young person who was cursed. Next, curandero Jason Lindo shares a story of a feitzera defending her daughter. And finally, I narrate the account of a witch who got in over his head with love magic. Chapter 1. Revenge of Nuno Sapunso. Submitted by Faye. Good day, Ate Sapphire. I'm Faye from Mindanao, Philippines. I'm now 18 years old, but I still remember the following story as clear as day. I would just like to share with you my experience with the Nuno Sapunso. I was about nine or ten years old when this happened. It was the summer before I became a fourth grade student. My mother's side of the family had a farm not far from the city where I lived. We would always visit our relatives there whenever we had a chance. Not far from that location, they have a small lime farm behind their empty pig pens where they would store stuff. Me and my cousins would run and play around the lime farm because it was the perfect place to play hide-and-seek. It was one of my cousins' turn to be the seeker, and I decided to hide in the lime farm right beside one of the pig pen's walls. I stayed there for a couple of minutes till I heard footsteps, and then I ran away to avoid being caught, stepping on the bumpy soil. It was a fun day. 
When we got home, I washed up, ate dinner, and did my usual routine before getting ready for sleep. After a couple of minutes in bed, I closed my eyes, waiting for a dream to visit me, and then I felt a tingling on both the pads of my feet. I figured it was just some sort of muscle cramp because I get those all the time. But after a couple of minutes, it hadn't gone away. The sensation only heightened and even began to hurt. It felt like the pins and needles sensation you get when your foot falls asleep, except it was isolated to the bottoms of my feet. I tried shaking the feeling away, but it only grew stronger. I was starting to worry, so I called for my mom. She came into my room and asked me what was going on. I told her that my feet hurt and I didn't know why. So she sat on the foot of my bed and tapped my feet. When she was tapping, the pain went away. But the moment she stopped, the pain would come right back. I was so frustrated that I began to cry. And so my mom stayed at the foot of my bed, tapping my feet until I fell asleep. This went on for two more days. My brother and mother taking turns every night, tapping my feet to ease my discomfort. When my mom couldn't take it anymore, she took me to a dermatologist. But when the dermatologist took a look at the pads of both my feet, she saw nothing. No fungi, no germs or bacteria, no infection, nothing. So, the day after the visit to the dermatologist, my parents took me to an albulario, a witch doctor. When we got to the albulario's home, he sat me down and my mom explained what had been happening. The albulario took out a basin filled with water, some sort of herbs, and a candle. He lit the candle and let the melted wax drip on the water in the basin while praying or chanting something I couldn't understand. After a while, when the candle melted half its size, he looked at the basin. He told us that I had stepped on a nuno sepunso, and the duende that lived there was angry, and so it cursed me by making my feet itchy, tingly, and painful. He then told my parents to boil guava leaves, and once the water cooled down a bit, to dip my feet in the water. This would make the itching go away. So when we got home, my parents did what the albulario told them, and as soon as I plunged my feet into the guava water, the pain disappeared. After what happened, I avoid that lime farm every time we visit my relatives. I am not a superstitious person, and neither is my family, but after my experience, we now follow most of the sabi-sabi in our community to avoid any more bad things happening. In this scenario, the duende inflicted harm upon Faye because she disrupted their home by the lime farm. Even though it was not intentional, her ignorance was not a good enough excuse for the duende. The experience taught her to pay more attention in the future. Chapter 2. Revenge of the Wok Wok. Submitted by Misha. Hi, at the Sapphire. This is Misha. My sisters Jane, Rose, and Cassandra have been tuning into you since your snarl days. This story I'll be telling isn't mine, but my grandparents. They believed in entities that lived among us called Dile Ingonato, which means those not like us. They believed because they had seen what these beings were capable of. 
My grandparents lived in a quiet, isolated-from-modernization town in Lanao, which is a province in the northern region of Mindanao. They knew everyone in their town. Just across the river from their house was my grandpa's cousin, who we'll call Daniel. Daniel was a drunkard, and he was basically drunk every single night. Also among their neighbors was an older woman we'll call Aling Marta. Marta was rumored to be flying about at night and scaring neighbors who were talking behind her back. My grandparents suspected that she came from a line of walkwalks. Walkwalk is a general term for spirits, ghosts, poltergeists, or anything that disturbs someone in an evil way. So there was one rainy night when, as expected, Daniel was getting drunk at home. Swig after swig, he became more inebriated as the night went on. He paused mid-sip when he heard tussling on the roof. He listened to see if it was nothing more than the pattering of the rain on the thatched roof. But the rustling continued. Daniel, having heard the rumors about Martha, thought it would be funny to call her out. Hey, Martha, I could see your genitals from down here. He teased slurringly. The rustling turned into scratching as Daniel continued to laugh and make fun of Martha or whoever was above him. After a few minutes, a hole had been completely scratched out in the roof right above Daniel. He looked up and continued his nonsensical (laughs) ramblings. Hey, Martha, I can see your vagina. It's creepy. And with one final chug from the bottle, Daniel passed out on the floor. When he came to in the morning, he woke up in immense pain. He groggily propped himself up to survey his body and screamed. There was a gaping wound from his belly button stretching to his stomach. Daniel ran to the river and frantically called for my grandfather to come over and help him. After my grandfather bandaged him up, Daniel told him everything. He was convinced that a walk-walk was responsible. My grandfather offered to take him to the hospital, but Daniel couldn't afford it, so he asked one of their neighbors to sew him up instead. I'm not sure where Daniel is now, if he's even still alive, but according to my grandparents, Daniel never slept in his own house again. He frequently slept at my grandparents' house and began his journey to sobriety. The town alcoholic might be an unreliable source, but whatever happened to him scared him so much that he decided to stop getting blackout drunk every night. Maybe Martha knew this was the only way to convince him to start turning things around. Chapter 3. Revenge of Dad's New Girlfriend. Submitted by Nanali. Hello, Sapphire. This is a very painful story to me. To this day, I am scared of going back to the country I grew up in because of all that happened. So, my mom and dad always had their differences. Growing up, they were constantly on and off, and I learned to not get in the middle. So when they finally divorced, I was able to remain very close with both of them because I stayed out of their drama. 
Then, a few years ago, when I was 20, I was living with my dad while I was attending college. Also living with us was my dad's new girlfriend. And she and my mom did not get along. They fought a lot. One fight happened when my dad was showing his girlfriend my childhood home, which is where my mom lived. My mom and my dad's girlfriend got into a screaming match that ended with his girlfriend promising that she would make my dad kick me out of his house. That didn't worry me. I knew he would never do that to me. Which is why it hurts so much when a few months later, he surprised me and did just that. I went to live with my mother in my childhood home. So up until that point, I had always been really healthy. But when I moved in with my mom, I inexplicably became frail and sick. I would faint. I was extremely dizzy all the time. I couldn't even sleep. No doctor could explain what was causing this. Apparently, I had low blood pressure, but they couldn't figure out why. A friend of my mom half-jokingly suggested we go to a curandera and referred one she knew. I was sure she would be a scammer, but I figured we could check it out since I was not getting answers from anyone else. I don't remember much about the day we went to see the curandera. I remember arriving, then an empty slot of memory, and then me sitting next to my mom and her friend while the curandera talked to us. She gave us a candle and instructed us to put it in a pan, pray, and go to sleep. In the morning, we were to bring it back to her and she would interpret the melted wax. So we followed her instructions for the candle. Seemed simple and harmless enough. The following morning, I was really eager to see what we'd find in the pot. My mother and I looked at the wax and I had never been more terrified in my life. In the wax was what looked like screaming faces all over. In the center were two figures. The first one looked shockingly like me, with a side part, same face shape, and everything. Behind me was a taller, scary figure. It was humanoid, with two legs, two arms, and a head. But not quite human. We hastily took the melted wax to the curandera, and she examined it closely. She said that a woman in my dad's life had placed a curse on our house, that there was a demon involved, and no matter what, it was going to take someone, and it wanted me. This scared the crap out of me. I didn't care if she was making this up. I no longer wanted to live in that house. So I moved out and found my own place. Funnily enough, my health actually started to improve. My mom, who was now living in my childhood home alone, would tell me of the strange paranormal events that she'd begun experiencing. She said that one day she found all the doors inside the house were destroyed, as if something had scratched them till they fell off their hinges. She sent me horrifying pictures, but we still tried to rationalize it. She would also have nightmares and see shadows around the house. And then the worst of it happened. A couple months after I moved out, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She hadn't had any symptoms until then. Throughout her illness, my dad's girlfriend would make fun of us and say that my mom was sick because she messed with her. Three months after her diagnosis, she passed. And in the last days she was alive, 
my mom kept begging me to ask my dad to do something to lift the curse. She was convinced the curse was taking her life. I think the same. I can never be sure if it was my dad's girlfriend who was responsible for all of this, but a curse like that doesn't come without a price. Where I come from, it's said that whoever conjures harm like that, it will return three times fold. That's the only thing that gives me relief. Nanali was an innocent casualty of their dad's girlfriend's wrath. It doesn't seem like they will be seeking retribution in the future, and that they are trusting that karma will be in their favor. For their sake, I hope that's true. But I think they would have every right to show that woman not to mess with them or their family ever again. The stories continue after the break. And now, the stories continue. Chapter 4. Revenge of the Fifth Sera. My full name is Jason Kili'inahukula Lindo. I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. I come from a mixed-race family. And like everybody in Hawaii, we're all mixed-race. And we all have some dealings with the supernatural. It is so much a part of life back home that we don't even think about it as being unusual. I was introduced to Jason through my friend Sarah Lemos Auni from the Ghost Town Terror. Jason is a sixth-generation spiritual healer, a curandero. When I recently met with him, I completely lost track of time and we talked for almost two hours. You'll hear all about those tales in an upcoming episode. But for now, he'll be sharing this story about his great-grandmother. My dad's family are all Portuguese. My dad's grandmother was a feiticeira, which is the Portuguese version of a bruja, of a witch. She was very, very famous on our island for curing people and also for having the ability um, to put the evil eye on someone. Um, this stuff, especially the curandero part, makes my mom very nervous, so we never talked about it. She was quite scared of my dad's grandmother. She had a reputation if she didn't like you. And I'll give you an example. My Auntie Chris, who was the not the fate Santa, but the curandera, she only did good things. Her husband was very abusive to her. And my dad told this story. Um, he must have been a teenager. And he was at his grandmother's house. And Auntie Chris comes in. And she has a black eye. And her mother says, how did you get that in Portuguese? And she does the, you know, I walked into a door kind of thing. So my aunt leaves. Her husband was a painter. So my great-grandmother has my dad and his brother drive her to a house he's working on. She gets out of the car. And she looks at him and he doesn't see her. She's across the street. She looks at him, like stares at him for about five minutes, gets back in the car and says, okay, take me home. That night, 
Auntie Chris calls her mom and says, my husband fell off the ladder. He's in the hospital. He broke his pelvis. He broke his arm. He broke his leg. And she said, oh, what happened? And she said, you know, it's the strangest thing. He said the ladder stood up and walked backwards and threw him on the ground. So my dad gets a call again from his grandmother saying, take me to the hospital to see your uncle. I want to pay him a visit. And she says, come in, but stay outside the door. So my dad is outside the door with his older brother, my Uncle Paul. And my great-grandmother goes in and she goes, how did you like the walk? This time I was playing with you. You touch her again, I will kill you. And then she turns to him and goes, okay, boys, let's go. Never beat his wife again. There is so much fear surrounding people who practice baneful or harmful magic. But how is it any different from being trained in self-defense? It would be better to know it and not need it than need it and not know it. That kind of power in the wrong hands would be scary, yes. But if it's in anyone's hands, who better than your family who's got your back? Chapter 5. Revenge of Love Hey Sapphire, I'm Artie. I know the subject of this email seems either far too grim or like a young adult fantasy novel. I assure you it's neither. Just a trigger warning, this story hints towards sexual harassment. So, I'm cursed to live without love. I was nine when I first started practicing witchcraft. It was partially a rebellion against my dad's half of the family and half embracing my mother's side of the family. It's been seven years since then, and my practice has changed a lot. Four years ago, I became a love witch, and it was the most wondrous thing I'd ever done. Whenever a friend asked about their love life or wanted a lover, they'd come to me, and I'd make it happen. The kind of magic I was doing made me feel whole, like love magic was the missing part of my being. But when you're as young as that, you're also stupid. And stupid, uninformed witches make even stupider decisions. I began to practice the make-them-love-me type spells. I was obsessed with domination magic and used it to get my first-ever boyfriend. That was my first mistake. Being around my first boyfriend, we'll call him James, was exciting. I'd never had someone who really cared about me this much. He did everything right. He was kind, considerate, charming, and smart. Until he wasn't. Over time, things got less like love and more like a one-sided obsession. I was losing interest in him, and he wasn't. James was becoming unsettling. He was so clingy that I barely got between classes without seeing him. His considerate nature became more like stalking. He memorized my entire life schedule, and I was seriously freaked out. 
The final straw was when my friend told me that James had made advances towards him that were completely unwanted. So I broke up with him. And soon enough, he was kicked out of school due to his newfound obsession with my friend. Now, I should mention that me and this friend were rather close in many ways. We even looked similar. After he left, I used magic to sever our connection, a cord-cutting spell. But it felt like there was something else there, like a darkness had grown in the space the cord-cutting emptied. I don't know where he is now, but I'm glad I don't have to deal with him anymore. Though I'm unsure if this would have happened without my interference. I, again, used a make-him-love-me type love spell on a crush I had, but this didn't feel right. It was the same spell I'd used on James, but it didn't feel the same. When I lit the candle, it felt like the world around me grew dark. Like the candle wasn't emitting that radiant, warm energy, but rather an all-consuming darkness. But I let it burn down and completed the spell. This was my second mistake. Because my crush, who we'll call Dan, never did come around. No, instead Dan grew to hate me with every fiber of his being. He hated me. And to this day, I don't know why. There were two more crushes who I attempted the same spell on. Each time I felt that dark presence, like someone was crushing my energy from within. A darkness that seemed to only show up when I tried love magic in absolutely any form. I wish I had happy news. I wish I could tell you that I found love naturally and that dark presence disappeared. But I haven't. This final story happened not even a few days ago from when I was writing this. I had begun to understand what was going on. I began to think that perhaps I'd summoned something or created an egregore accidentally. But recent conversations with my mother's side of the family begged to differ. I had met a guy who we'll call Ezra. Ezra was perfect. He was gay, religiously alternative, and didn't hang around me just for superficial reasons. But I'm still not a very wise person. Perhaps it's that young naivete I have as a teenager, or maybe I'm just bad at learning from my mistakes. But I, again, tried that love spell on him. He already cared for me, so surely it couldn't bring anything bad about, could it? But I was so wrong. This time, that same dark energy came back but it felt unbearable. I didn't even have time to finish the spell because when I felt it, it was so strong that I feared something foul was afoot and I called upon my matron goddess. That candle for the love spell would not light. Its wick was long enough. It wasn't wet or slick with oil. It was a perfectly functioning candle from the look and feel of it, but I could not get the wick to burn no matter how long I held the flame on it. It wouldn't even heat up. The wax melted under the lighter's heat, but the wick wouldn't burn. Maybe it was a faulty candle, but it burned before. Now that dark presence lingers around, I can't get rid of it. Ezra found someone new. Literally, an hour after the candle went out, he told me he'd just found someone who wanted to date him and that he'd said yes. Of course, this was confusing because the day before, he confessed he was in love with me. And I've now gone to five readers about my love life. 
every single one has failed. The first had an unfortunate accident where they accidentally left their only tarot deck outside in the rain and it was ruined. The second simply said they couldn't get a feel for the reading. The third said they didn't have the energy for love readings. The fourth and fifth both said the same thing, that some scary, dark energy wasn't letting them read it. Even after cleansing, it came back once they started up again. Every love-related magical action seems to bring around this energy. In my family practice, we're told that all magic has a price. That if you don't pay the price willingly, your power will take its own toll. I believe that this energy is the consequence for all that love magic. That it was formed as a consequence of my own impudence and neglect of payment. If you or anyone has any idea how I can solve this, I'd be grateful. I've tried countless cleansing methods and tried warding against it. Nothing will work for me. And if no one can help, I at least ask that you learn from my mistakes. If you use magic like this, always pay up. It feels like Artie's relationships are being policed by this dark presence. Artie wanted James so badly in the beginning and got everything he wanted, so to throw that blessing away was seen as an offense. Artie, I hope you're not being too hard on yourself and that you're able to seek the help you need. I've sent you a couple healers that I trust, but if anyone listening has recommendations as well, send them my way and I'll relay them to Artie. Every victim in today's episode learned a hard lesson. Some were more warranted than others. And that's pretty much where it ends. The spiritual backlash was enough to stop a dangerous pattern. Daniel became sober. Jason's uncle stopped abusing his wife. Harmful behavior needs consequences. Otherwise, it will simply continue. So whether you disturb a land spirit or drunkenly tease a monster or cast an unjust curse on your boyfriend's family, or abuse your wife, or practice magic irresponsibly, be on guard for supernatural revenge. Thank you for joining me today. What are your thoughts on supernatural revenge? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash sapphiresandalo where I live stream twice a week. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. Music written by Sapphire Sindalo. Special thanks to Faye, Misha, Nanali, Jason, and Artie. For more information on this episode, visit storieswithsapphire.com.